Friday morning here on The Morning Brew. It is very nearly 10 minutes past 11. I've had an absolutely lovely time doing the Olympics every day with Danny live from Tokyo. It really makes a difference. But I must admit, I've been getting a bit of petrol envy, and this is where I bring back our friend motorsport correspondent, Tim Huxley. Good morning. Good morning, Phil. How are you doing, Tim? Are you Olympics oh, out, or are you, enjoy- are you enjoying I mean, the Olympics? Re- absolutely. I mean, it's... It just shows what sport can do. I mean, you know, bringing the city together, it's been fantastic to have, you know, a really strong performance from Hong Kong. And there's still plenty more to come. Um, And, um, yeah, thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, You know, it's funny, isn't it? We haven't really even noticed the fact that there aren't the big crowds there. And uh, in many ways, it's sort of gone back to basics. Big topic, both pre and during the Olympics. And it hasn't turned out to be quite the downer, certainly in general, that people suspected it might. I mean, I'm not an athlete on a track without an audience, you must understand. What do you think? Uh, I think for the athletes, uh, not having the crowd there, I mean, it it certainly is a bit of a downer because uh, any any performer, and uh, you being a particular case in point, uh, you know how you react to the audience. Yeah, with fear and trepidation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, maybe there's been a bit less pressure. I don't think it uh, in any way has uh, devalued um, the the events and the achievements. Mm. I mean, there's been lots of world records and, as I say, some fantastic individual performances uh, that uh, people will live with for the rest of their lives. So uh, I think it's been a a great event and all credit to... uh, the Japanese for actually getting the event on. I mean, obviously a lot of criticism about, oh, should we do it? Should we not do it? But they do seem to have managed it uh, very well. So all credit to them. Well, so far, five medals for Hong Kong and a squeak. Let's watch this space over the weekend as well. Most definitely. Uh, Absolutely. All right, matey. Well, I want to talk about a bit of Brum Brum because the world is still turning. Certainly your world is. What do we need to know? Well, it's been an absolute cracker of a year. I mean, the Formula One season, uh, let's just look at that first. I mean, we're 11 races down. We've got 12 to go. They're just going into a three-week break uh, before uh, hostilities resume in Belgium (laughs) on the 29th of August. And boy, they need a break. This has been an absolute cracker of a season. Really what the sport's been crying out for for years of real head-to-head rivalry you've got the old well he's hardly old (laughs) but the established ace lewis hamilton seven titles to his name uh really the driver of this decade the driver of his generation and the driver with the most wins in history and he is now up against the young pretender the dutchman max verstappen i mean so this is the biggest anglo-dutch war since the 18th century (laughs) and that was that that was the big uh, challenge that i was talking about earlier on that we're looking forward to isn't it absolutely I mean, everybody is truly fired up about this. I mean, so far, uh, Lewis Hamilton, he's got four wins. Max Verstappen's got five. Uh, for the first time in uh, seven or eight years, I mean, the Mercedes is not the dominant car. I mean, Verstappen driving the Red Bull. I mean, many, many people consider that that is the quicker car. Many people wow. consider that Verstappen is now the quicker driver. But Can you just clarify the quicker car for us, Tim, in, in your terms? Which things are we looking at here? Uh, well, I mean, that's a, I mean, you're talking about razor-thin margins. Oh, I understand, here. yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, it, and it is very track-specific. I mean, at certain tracks, the Red Bull has been way faster. At others, uh, they, it's, it's suited the Mercedes. Uh, last week in Hungary, uh, you had the Mercedes was the quickest in practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they going to be able to hold that over a race distance? We're not sure. 
so and it can all go down to these very very fine uh, mistakes uh, teamwork uh, the speed of which you can turn a car around when it comes in for a pit stop i mean okay you know we're now getting down to below two seconds to change all four wheels that's now, and that's uh, you know i mean if you can get that done at your local quick fit you'd be pretty happy uh but yeah. um, so it's it's intensely close and it's getting too close at points i mean in britain uh three weeks ago uh hamilton and verstappen they touched at 180 miles an hour verstappen sent into the barrier out of the race hamilton he was given a penalty because the stewards judged that he was predominantly at fault but he still came back and he won the race and that was possibly the deciding moment in this season because the Steppen, uh there'd been a couple of instances earlier particularly at Imola uh, in May where he had really got his elbows out and Hamilton had backed off but at Silverstone, the tables were turned. Verstappen went into that race with a 33-point lead in the championship. Mm. That's quite healthy. But he was going to get ahead. Of, he wanted to get ahead of Hamilton on the first lap. Hamilton lunged down the inside, and they touch Verstappen in the barrier. Hamilton goes on to win that 33-point lead, slashed by 25 points there and then. Following race weekend in Hungary, again, Verstappen caught up in a first corner incident. Uh, Hamilton, he came through, came second, uh, again, after a mistake by his team uh, on the formation lap, uh, where he ended up on the wrong tyres at the start of the race. Uh, So suddenly, that 33-point lead has evaporated to an eight-point deficit. Now, Hamilton, with all his experience, would he have stuck his nose in front at Silverstone? Uh, Would would he have backed off uh i think hamilton if he'd been conserving that lead in the championship he would have probably sort of said okay let him go now i'll get him back a bit later mm. now hamilton he's but the staffan is such a tiger and a fighter that it's like you know we talk about heroes of the past like gilles villeneuve as far as Verstappen's concerned he just wants to be ahead win the race yep. now that's not necessarily the way to win a world championship you've got to play a long ball game okay Okay, it's interesting to hear a little bit about their their specific um, MOs, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's and there's a lot of mind games and gamesmanship going on. I mean, it's almost as entertaining as what happens on track. Mm. Uh, All the various uh, shenanigans going on with the various team principles at the moment. I mean, uh, you know, both the, the boss of Red Bull, Christian Horner, and the boss of Mercedes, Toto Wolf. I mean, they seem to be getting a lot of exercise running up the stairs to the stewards' room uh, to sort of uh, voice these complaints. And there's a lot of statements made in the press. I mean, you know, Verstappen has never been any sort of shrinking violet when it comes to sort of fighting for position. But after that incident at the British Grand Prix, uh, Verstappen's team was sort of saying, oh, this is outrageous. Hamilton should be banned. Hamilton has got one of the cleanest records in racing over the decade that he's been in Formula One. So suddenly sort of start accusing him of being a dirty driver is is fundamentally wrong. In this day and age, you know, you say somebody is so clean, it's ridiculous. We're almost questioning it. We shouldn't be, should we? No, we should. I mean, you know, the sportsmen, they are you have to have a degree of aggression. It doesn't matter what sport you're in. I mean, uh, you know, even our, our uh, I mean, I'm sure even our beloved Siobhan, I mean, she's a pretty aggressive type when she gets in the pool. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, when you're, when you're battling it out uh, at, a, at 180 miles an hour in a racing car, um, you know, unfortunately, if things do go wrong, the consequences 
are pretty big. I mean, uh, Verstappen, when he crashed at Silverstone, I mean, that was 180 miles an hour. He went off the track. Uh, luckily, he was actually perfectly all right. He was taken to hospital for a quick checkup, but uh, he was fine. But the damage done to that car was estimated to being about 1.8 million euros. Now, that becomes really important. Fine, there's loads of money in motor racing, <laughs> but now there's a budget cap. And so you're limited on the amount you can spend. And suddenly, if you've got 1.8 million that you haven't budgeted for, you've got to put that in. That's actually going to hinder what you can do in terms of developing the car through the season. And so that could actually hold them back. Um, and again, you also in now in Formula One, you're limited to three engines per year. And if you use more than that, then you have to take a penalty, a grid penalty of maybe 10 places at the next race. Hmm. I said that's going to be really significant because it looks like Verstappen, he's actually getting pretty close to his full engine quota. Uh, and the engine that he used at Silverstone was probably damaged in that crash. Can I just take you back a couple of minutes, talk about Hungary a bit? You mentioned uh, Hamilton claiming the pole, but um, people booed him. I mean, we talk, lots of talk about audiences these days. Eh? Yeah, um, I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's great, actually, that we're getting back to having full crowds at motor races. And, uh, you know, I'm afraid Verstappen got a bit of booing at Silverstone, inevitably, the 120,000 people there. In Hungary, there was, and there is, there, he, in Hungary, yes, Hamilton, he was subjected to a fair bit of booing. And that was mainly because you had thousands upon thousands of Dutch people making the oh. journey over to Budapest. And the Orange Army is now a sort of, fundamental part of uh, uh, of motor racing. I mean, you go there and there's a sea of orange T-shirts and Max Verstappen fans. I mean, they've never really had a sportsman like this uh, in Holland for, for decades, right. who has really sort of united the whole country. And, uh, of course, they're incredibly passionate. So, yeah, Hamilton's going to get a lot of stick. And I'll tell you what, 5th of September, when we have the first Dutch Grand Prix for nearly 30 oh. years, yeah. uh, that is going to be a pretty pressurised cauldron uh, for Hamilton to go into that. Uh, I mean, it's a Zandvoort, a wonderful seaside resort uh, on, on, on the North Sea coast uh, and up in the sand dunes. And there will be, I mean, it's been sold out. It was The event was going to happen last year, but it obviously suffered, suffered because of COVID. Mm. But there will be an absolute army of Verstappen fans there, and they'll be willing their man on. That's just Nigel the way it Mansell, is, right? He, it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's the way it is. And, you know, people get very nationalistic. I mean, it's always unfortunate when you get uh, a big sportsman coming from a country, you suddenly have a lot of people who maybe uh, had no interest in the sport. They get involved, and it's great to attract new fans. Mm. But some of them are there more for nationalism than they are for a great sporting contest. I mean, you saw this back in... Uh, uh, back in, in the 80s and 90s with Nigel Mansell in Britain. He always said that the, the crowd at the British Grand Prix roaring him on, he could hear them even with a massive racing engine behind Crazy. it. He said it was worth a second a lap. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, we've been hearing a lot about sportsmen and women's mental health issues and this, that and the other recently. Very significant stuff. Something we've never really heard before. And you've just got me thinking these guys have to be really tough. I mean... Uh, whether it's nationalistic or I sh I'm sure there are some people who think we've just had enough of Lewis Hamilton, whatever it might be, he still gets booed and they have to be strong stuff, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, without doubt. I mean, and, but 
uh, you know, the, these guys, they've been, they've, been, they've been doing this since they were kids. And uh, they, they are made a pretty strong Yeah, I'm stuff, thinking if you're going to be gunning a sort of 100 and, you know, 180 mile, whatever speed it is, squillion dollar car, you're like, who cares what you think? I'm a racing driver. Well, that's <laughs> it. I mean, Lewis Hamilton says that he just gets invigorated by Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just pushes him harder to go on to greater things. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's unfortunate and it's, it's not a side of life we like. And of yeah. course, you know, we, we, all sportsmen have to put up with the scourge of social media. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's a very easy way to avoid that. You just don't look at it. What was it like back in the days of the guys you're talking about and Sterling Moss and all these people? Was it, oh, hurrah, good chap, or was there still a downside? Well, I mean, the downside was that in those days, of course, it was much, much more dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you would not get through a season uh, without going to a couple of funerals. Mm. Um, and it was it was a very difficult, very, very dangerous sport then. Sterling Moss always said that the danger was actually um, one of the sort of key drivers for him, one of the excitements for him. Uh, but there did seem to be much more of a camaraderie amongst the drivers. I mean, they would travel together, they would go on holiday together. Uh, you know, there were there were some really cool stuff and yeah. close friendships there among, amongst the drivers. And uh, maybe, you know, that's... Uh, uh, med racing, it's a victim of the professionalism and the amount of money that's now involved. That isn't there. It was more of a sort of uh, uh, happy amateur. And why would we assume they weren't friends anyway in the first place? Because I think that, you know, we, people do assume these things. They're, they all live in a box and then they come out to race. Yeah, I should think it's pretty difficult to maintain uh, a close friendship with somebody who you are going, who is, who is your serious <laughs> rival. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim, just before we leave this topic, just mark the diary again, if you would. You said mid-season. Yeah. So what have we got? To, yeah. What have we got to look forward to when? Well, coming up. I mean, really, as I say, we go. Um, we've got a bit of a break coming up, uh, and then they all resume in Belgium on the 29th of August. Okay. Really fantastic racetrack that. And then, uh, then there's 12 more races to go. But I mean, we believe. But of course, everything is uh, up in the air with COVID. Of course. Um, I mean. <laughs> You know, the the if you're on the red list from the UK uh, in the country, that makes it much more difficult to stage a, a Grand Prix because so many of the teams and all the people come from the UK for this. Right. So we're not sure what the calendar is going to be, which makes every race absolutely critical because if suddenly you've got three races that are cancelled, mm. then, OK, that totally changes the complex, complexion of the championship. Yeah, yeah, I understand. So we don't know. Nobody has a crystal ball. A uh, couple, couple of small bits and pieces about bikes, if you would. Yeah, well, uh, big news this week is that uh, one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest uh, motorcycle racers of all time, Valentino Rossi, has announced that he's going to be retiring uh, at the end of this year after a career of 26 years, uh, seven world titles in the premier class, uh, 89 Grand Prix victories, and a really great career. But more than anything, I mean, this guy was the Michael Jordan of motorcycle racing. Wow. He transcended the sport. Huge personality, uh, great value, great entertainer, uh, really adored the fans. And in places like Italy, um, you know, a massive superstar as i said you know equivalent michael jordan or any other sort of really major superstar i mean his hometown uh, in italy tavulia mm -hmm. um i mean it's it's known as the graceland of motorsport okay. uh, the whole place is decked out in rossi's colors of blue and yellow 
banners everywhere. And I mean, normally in Italy, in a, in a town, the speed limit is 50 kilometers an hour. <laughs> now, Rossi has always raced with the number 46. So the council now have made the speed limit in his hometown 46 kilometers per hour in recognition of their, their hometown hero. So he's going to be a massive loss to the sport because yeah. he has bought in so many people. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, grandmothers and every, oh, Valentino, he's such <laughs> yeah. a lovely guy. I mean, it's like, it's like, I mean, I remember in the 70s in Britain, people would say, oh, Barry Sheen, such a nice boy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But Rossi, yeah, he's brought in a whole generation of new fans to motorcycle racing, which is great. And it's a thrilling sport. Tim, thank you so much. Always lovely to talk to you. Uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. That's Tim Huxley, our motor sport correspondent. Oh.